We're going to continue with the Brahma Vihara of equanimity, Upeka. And the piece I'd like to add um, that has been really helpful for me to tune into all four of these Brahma Viharas is to use the simile of the ukulele. <laughs> so the ukulele has four strings. And the way you tune a ukulele is you tune each string, but then you tune them to each other. They have to be roughly in tune, but then you actually have to tune them to each other to find the sweetest resonance between strings. So you can't just technically tune one and then have a computer can tune the other. There's no digital tuning them one by one. That gets you ballpark, but because every ukulele is different, the sweetest harmonies, you actually have to hear the harmony. So you play the string and you play it so that they should be in harmony. And that allows some fine tuning so that when you play a chord, which is all four strings played at once, you actually get the sweet harmony between the strings. And then you can play all the music that's ever been written. It's all being transposed onto ukulele because there's a huge ukulele movement right now. And uh, I can't say I'm a part of it, but uh, I've been witnessing it. Um, so it's, I, I have no ambition to be a great ukulele player, which means that when I just pluck one string, I just sort of like hang out like, wow, wow, that's beautiful. I'm just going to hang out there, pluck that string, pluck the next string. Then you make a chord with, and I was like, that's it. I mean, that's the Beatles right there in that one chord. And I'm really satisfied with that, which is why I'll never be great at ukulele because I get so easily satisfied with just a chord. But in that chord, you're pressing it down differently and you get different, different uh, uh, music that comes out of it and you can play different music. Different songs have different uh, tones in them and they capture different sentiments. So these four Brahmaviharas have to play together. They don't make sense without each other. And that can be hard when you really try to tune into one frequency. It seems to be in contrast with another frequency. So as you tune into equanimity, questions come up quickly that it's in contrast and maybe it doesn't make sense because of the heart's relationship to compassion. And then they might seem like they're at odds. And the thing is, you practice with these two, and then the heart that harmonizes with both and doesn't see them in contrast understands both at a new level. So that there's pain and suffering in the world. There's enough there for an eternity of compassion and compassion that would keep finding new, new ways to reverberate which how much pain and suffering there is in the world. So then how could equanimity possibly make sense? And the thing is, without equanimity, you can't even make contact with the suffering before the reactivity would start to uh, cause so much reverberance that you'd lose contact with what's actually happening. So when I was first learning about the Brahma Viharas, I was doing a lot of work in a shelter for homeless teenagers. And sometimes 
I'd be stretching on compassion when I would learn how hard their, li- their lives were and uh, their family lives and then seeing how few resources there were for them and how many pieces had to be put back together to get them off the street. And my heart would break under compassion. And what I found is that actually equanimity could hold me as a safety net behind that, where I would say, Temple, it is actually like this. And you breaking contact with reality is not helping this person at all. It's great that you feel that. It's great that they see somebody feeling the size of their pain. But you've now pushed yourself out of function, being able to function. You're now just in raw reactivity to what you're seeing, the amount of pain. So then I learned to blend in the tone of equanimity, not to neutralize myself, but I, they needed witnessing. They needed somebody to hear their story. And so with equanimity, it's an open-hearted state. It's not a closed-hearted state. An open-hearted state that would support itself, saying, it actually is like this right now. This is how it is right now. It actually is like this right now. And that's the same place where I'm having compassion, but I also can see it actually is like this right now. And I added right now because I could do something maybe to change it. So accepting it didn't mean anything about not trying to help, but it let me make contact and sustain contact with the truth where my own preferences would start to cause so much agitation that it wouldn't necessarily be compassion. It would be my own selfishness in relationship to the pain I was seeing so that now I had an agenda for how this homeless teen, how their life had to work out. Uh, And that might look like compassion that I'm joining, but I'm also joining for my need. And that's one more need that they have to take on, one more adult that uh, is working out their needs through them versus having compassion and equanimity And I noticed that the really good social workers, the really good nurses, the people who came and worked with us, they had found this balance where they were not always blown away uh, into reactivity by what they saw, but they hadn't numbed out either. So how do you witness the world and have compassion for it and then witness it and have compassion for it? You need this, uh, this equanimity to find balance in the middle of, which is another thing I want to offer, is that you might find balance by pulling yourself into the middle, but the real growth of equanimity is actually extending out to both sides and finding balance in between pleasure and pain, gain and loss, people rising into well-being and people falling out of well-being. Can I walk with both those being true. If you see anybody doing balancing work on a rope, um, a taut rope, you have this pole that doesn't go along the middle point. You're actually safer when you extend out from the middle point and then you find this incredible balance in between. And that's ripened equanimity, is that it balances between in an open-hearted state. And from that, you can tolerate how hard things do get. But you're not then falling into the hardship and only seeing the hardship. To find that balance point, you open up to how hard things get for people and many beings. But you also open up to how beautiful things are. And you rock back and forth 
And then you can have compassion, you can have mudita, and then you can have this equanimity between the two. And it's not a closed down midpoint. It's a balanced, open-hearted state that can see the totality of it all. And for a moment, not find it wrong, just so you can see clearly. And then from there, your heart wants to participate. It goes to alleviate the suffering. It goes to celebrate the joy, increase the joy. But uh, if you lose that balance point, you're just another reactive person, maybe even doing good, but in that reactivity, you've lost contact with what's actually happening. So equanimity allows that drop in and witnessing and you suspend your preferences for a moment just so you can see clearly. And they let those preferences guide you into compassionate action or celebration, creativity. Um, but without having a, a midpoint, you have no reference point to even see what's going on in its full picture. So the phrases I like to use uh, are this is how it is right now. And after a while, I don't need the right now. But this is how it is right now. It is like this right now. This is how it is right now. It is like this right now. And lately, I've been using this creek bed in this forest right out behind here to tune into equanimity. I don't think humans could improve what happens up this creek. But this creek, has winter and summer, it has droughts, it has rainy seasons, it has rabbits, and it has coyotes that eat the rabbits. I don't think we could do better than what happens up this creek. So I open up to something that has birth and death. It's a beautiful ecosystem. My preferences do not make this better. Let's relax the human preferences and actually begin to appreciate this ecosystem back there. And then upon seeing it back there, how would we make it better? It often just needs a lot of appreciation. And then we might see that there are ways to help, that maybe there are, there's erosion happening, and maybe we could help prevent that or slow that down, but we'd have to be wise about that. So I go up the hill in my imagination, especially around nature, I let nature do its thing. I can let there be winter, I can let there be summer, I can let there be birth, I can let there be death. I can let there be predators and prey. I find, yeah, it actually is like this right now. This is how it is. My heart settles, it opens, it appreciates. Once I find that frequency, then I bring it towards areas where I might have more sticky preferences. So once I make contact with humans, I get a lot of preferences. I get a lot of anxiety about the anxious side of humans, and I get a lot of hope about the good side of humans. So then the, the guidance is, can you bring that towards people whose lives you can just let unfold with warm appreciation? And that tends to be people you can imagine, but you have yet to have strong agenda for them. And these are considered the neutral people in our lives, people that they, we just let them do their life and we interact with them. But we have yet to lock on to preferences of how they should be. 
that opens our heart a little further. We drop in. We can see the beauty of this frequency of equanimity. And we can see how it has to be attuned because if it's not attuned, it could be a little bit complacent so that we're passing by people, letting them have their lives, but we've become a little bit too nonchalant. So it's an open-hearted state, very low agenda. Just how are you? What's happening? How is it? Oh, this is how it is. Might hear two people talking in a line. It's not my business, but they may be talking about something hard in their lives. If I were in a line somewhere or in a cafe, I don't have a big agenda if they're, if they're having their life. So then I can find how the heart stays open and finds equanimity. And the last thing I'll say is I imagine a core of four, like a ukulele, <laughs> four people singing. And if any one sings so loud and stretches out that it pushes the other one off the stage, that probably is not the healthiest version of that quality. So if equanimity pushes compassion off the stage, it's probably not the warmest, most attuned equanimity. If equanimity pushes joy off the stage, if compassion pushes joy off the stage, there's so much pain and suffering in the world, I can't even see what's beautiful anymore. That might be a distorted mind state to not see the whole picture. So I let these four uh, harmonize, and now it's a little bit more like a acapella group than ukulele, where one might be a lead factor, compassion might be a lead factor, but I make sure that in the background it's not in contradiction to joy or equanimity. That if I, I did some hospice work, uh, volunteering, if I only walked in on the compassion channel, I would miss the sweetness of the small joys that were passing. They were so important for the people who were passing that they not only be in this uh, grave state of dying. <laughs> Sorry, oh, oh, gal's humor. <laughs> so, <clears throat> in the practicing, it's, it doesn't have to be perfect but you're tuning into it. And if your mind comes up with some contradictions or not so sure about this, then it becomes a little bit of a contemplation. You're saying the compassion phrases, you're saying the equanimity phrases. You feel it, then you're not so sure, a question comes up, you feel it a little bit. And then there's room for discussion uh, afterwards to talk with a friend or to keep reflecting. How could equanimity be a beautiful state but in this condition? How could compassion be a beautiful state in this condition? Does it need, can it be a part of it, what's happening? Does it need to back off a little bit? And then you have this ukulele. If you have yet to fall in love with the ukulele, uh, it's quite an instrument. And people are doing blues on ukulele now, and they're doing uh, really fast, precise music on ukuleles. So it doesn't have a limit to it. And when you play these four strings of the Brahma Viharas, you can play all the music that's beautiful. But they do have to kind of learn to harmonize a little bit. And that's often where people struggle a little bit, is that to go deeply into one seems to somehow block or confront the other. And uh, keep playing with a frequency until you get a heart space that doesn't have that contradiction. That's very... Uh, illustrative of what a tuned heart is or the tuned 
ukulele is, is that you start hearing chords of equanimity and compassion and joy. And you hear another chord of joy, but it has a touch of compassion and equanimity. Or you hear a chord that has more of this equanimity, but you can feel the others and they harmonize with it. And they make it what it, why it's so sweet to be in any one of these four Brahma Viharas. Is you're actually getting the nourishment of uh, all three, of all four. So with that said, let's find a posture that allows our bodies to be at ease. As a kindness to this animal that endures this mission our egos get so enthralled by. So hello body, here's a still posture. You get to relax. Take a few deep breaths. And there's a freshness of the in-breath, and there's this deep relaxation and letting go on the out-breath. And if you're sleepy, you might focus more on the in-breath to aliven. If there's any tension, you can enjoy your out-breath guiding you towards that relax, letting go. And maybe you find that peacefulness in the rhythm of rising and falling, welcoming the in-breath and peacefully letting go. Then you can tune into these phrases or just the sentiment behind them. This is how it is right now. It is like this. Just so we can align our hearts with the truth of what we're connecting to. Now I invite you to take an imaginary walk up the path that goes along the creek behind the meditation hall. If you walk up that path, one thing you would find is 
not a lot of judgment around the natural world. You might wouldn't say there are too many leaves. This tree's too fat. <laughs> that rock is too craggy. The next one too smooth. If I were moss, I would do it like this. One of the reasons we love going out into nature is we tend not to have this fixing and improving and judging mind. We get welcomed into an easy, open-hearted equanimity. This is how it is right now. It is like this. On that same walk, you might find very young trees, saplings. You might find mature trees. And you might find a tree freshly blown over, its trunk cracked. all seasons of life. Maybe your heart joys a little bit on the young sapling. Maybe there's a touch of compassion for the older tree cracked and fallen. And maybe your heart also can harmonize. Say that's the cycle of trees. They've been cycling for millions of years. This is how it is. It is like this. bring our hearts a little closer to something where there might be challenges of preferences. 
There are insects back up that creek and birds that eat them. We want the insects to be safe. We also want the birds to be fed. You might notice your heart struggles a little bit. How could you want both? With a heart open, we can say, this is how it is right now. It is like this. It doesn't take away pain from the insects. It doesn't stop us from loving healthy birds. But we can breathe in and out and say, this is how it is. It is like this. Let your breath keep your heart open. I also invite you to settle into your body with an open heart. It's a complex, ancient ecosystem And equanimity allows us to actually be a part of that ecosystem. Yet if we still have our preferences, it's something foreign to be fixed. So if we sat there, took in the changing light, changing temperature, saw insects and birds flying by, old young trees. For a moment, when equanimity is a lead factor, there's nothing wrong with that picture, even though it still contains pain, joy, birth, death.
And you might notice that the moment you see all that with an open heart and relax is the same moment you feel a part of that ecosystem. And to gently keep pointing your attention patiently back. You can use whatever equanimity phrase supports your attention. I'm suggesting something simple. This is how it is right now. It is like this. You can stay with the image of the creek and the ecosystem and all the living beings, the balances they've struck. How each one is at home and belongs in the system. You can also borrow the tone of that equanimity bring it to yourself as you sit here and now. Opening to what you're experiencing here and now. Open-hearted, soft preferences.
This is how my body is right now. It is like this. Pleasant Vedana, unpleasant Vedana, and neutral Vedana. This is how my body is right now. It is like this. You can open up to their states of heart and your states of mind. If you're sleepy or restless, distracted easily, momentary concentration. This is how it is right now. It is like this. Mindfulness with no agenda, other than to witness what's happening moment by moment. The beauty about equanimity is it prefers honesty 
feels honored to see the truth. The heart is seeking intimacy with the truth. This is how it is right now. It is like this. invite you to open your heart to the your fellow community members around you everybody's experience is a flow of changing conditions and to wake up to the highest truths everybody has to go through a great range of experiences to find open-handed equanimity. So while we wish everybody well, we also wish people the ability to have some equanimity through all of the changes This is how it is right now. It is like this.
from here, compassion could harmonize. You could say to someone meditating with difficulty, this is how it is right now. And I can see that it's hard. Equanimity and compassion harmonizing. Could even be a place where compassionate action begins to arise. This is how it is right now. I can see that it's hard. I wonder if I could help. This is how it is right now. I see that it's painful. Wonder if I could help. Two tones of heart harmonizing. And as people practice, temporary stresses pass. There's relief. Oh, this is how it is right now. It is like this. Equanimity can harmonize with mudita, empathetic joy. Then equanimity can balance between the two, including both joys and sorrows. Without that balance, sorrows are overwhelming. Without that balance, Joys are intoxicating. With this balance, there's patience and support for the compassion. There's a beautiful, clean relationship to the joys and the celebrations.
not needing them to be final. This is how it is. It is like this. I know for many people, softening heart in that way sometimes is challenging or confusing because it feels like you're softening your preferences around harm. And compassion, wisdom sees harm as harm, pain as pain, wrong as wrong. So Sometimes the development of equanimity feels like it's in some type of uh, struggle with compassion. So if you're struggling with that, I, I would let the equanimity go for a moment just so you feel oriented to your heart, breathe with your heart, and then see if you could approach it again in a way that there doesn't have to be a split between equanimity and concentration and compassion that uh, they're meant to support each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.